All right, party people, on with the show. Welcome to the Gutology Podcast, already episode four in this series about how you can naturally heal and optimise your gut. Episode four is all about boosting your energy. Are you tired? Are you lethargic? Is it normal? Is it not? How is it connected to the gut? We're going to discover all of that today. We're going to talk about leaky gut, intestinal permeability and sleep as well. Some of the latest scientific surveys that are coming through, some really interesting stuff in the news this week, some tips that are easy to do and cheap that you can do at home to improve yours. And we'll be talking about how the gut can regenerate itself. Fascinating stuff. If this is the first episode that you've listened to, well, my name's Ollie Gallant. Um, I'm a radio host and a podcaster and a filmmaker, but I also spent a lot of my 20s battling with gut-related health issues. I met Julia Davies. She's a nutritional therapist that uses a functional medicine approach to helping people with gut-related issues. And I felt very, very, after being on my own journey and and healing myself, I I felt um, there was a lot of information that, that should be shared. And that has brought us together to make the Gutology podcast and the Gutology project, which is really exciting. All the stuff you hear about today, um, go to gutology.co.uk. There are articles, there are videos, there are specific videos on certain things. You might be suffering from IBD or IBS or just looking to optimise your diet. There is something for you. But today it is all about energy. Energy levels feeling pretty strong today, Julia. Oh yeah, absolutely. You have to say that. <laughs> I actually, I did. I had, a, I had a good night's sleep last night, and there's, we're going to see some interesting things because I've done some things in the last couple of years that really have transformed the amount of sleep that I'm getting. So I'm excited to talk about this. But let, let's start at the beginning. Um, we were together yesterday afternoon prepping for this, and Julia said to me, being tired is the number one complaint that GPs see. People turning up in the doctor's surgery and just saying, oh, I'm just tired all the time. It doesn't matter how much I sleep or what I do or if I exercise or not. I'm yawning throughout the work day. I have a, a nap late afternoon or I feel like I, I'm, I'm too tired and this isn't normal. Let's start at how your gut health could be affecting your energy. Mm. Um, how, how is that even possible? Because I think for a lot of these things that we're talking about here, for some people, it's a massive leap to make that connection. Yeah. Okay. I think, I I think when you're, a lot of people are tired and if they're tired because they've just had an awful lot on and they've trying to cram too much into the day and then they just feel a little bit snoozy at the end of the night, that's fine. That's okay. But I think what we're really trying to get to is those people that are feeling tired sort of very lethargic throughout the whole day, not really performing or living to an optimum level. And it's those people that um, we really want to target today to help them actually know what it feels like to have energy again, Uh, because a lot of them won't even remember. So people that I see in my clinic, you know, they'll say to me after six months of working together, I didn't actually know I could feel like this. They didn't even know how tired they were until they started to get their energy back. And that's really scary, actually. I think think a lot of people are living like that. Yeah, that's a good point, isn't it? You know, Simon, uh, my colleague and I were up in in Blackpool over the weekend and we were in a, a fish and chip bar. And uh, I, I was joking with Simon. I said, God, how do people eat this food all the time and feel good? And he said, they don't. They just don't know what normal feels like. Yeah. And that, and that I yeah. suddenly thought, yeah, that is true. You, you only know your normal, right? Yeah. So it's hard to know how it can get better. Um, so for, for, for idiots like me, how do we make energy and how does that work? So the so your body makes energy, but what it needs to do that is it needs fuel. So the fuel is from the air that you breathe in and from the food that you eat. And it is as simple as that. So if you stop breathing, you're not going to be able to make much energy. If you stop eating, you're not going to be able to make much energy. So what um, if you're feeling tired, it's because your body has got some kind of inability to make enough energy to sustain you throughout the day. So the nutrients in your diet need to be there in the first place. So you need to be eating, you know, a broad range of different foods. Um, And 
able to absorb those nutrients from your gut into your body. And that is the crucial bit. And when you say you need to be able to absorb those stuff, so we've learned over the last couple of episodes, you, you, you eat the food, it goes into your stomach. How, what, how does that, how does it get absorbed into your body and what, what happens there? So the region of the whole gut that is really largely involved in absorption is the small intestine. So it's, it, it's a place where all of the food, so, you know, your jacket potato, your baked beans, your lettuce, whatever it is that you've had, it's all getting broken down really radically at that point into such a small size that it's really ready to be absorbed across the gut wall at that point. But then if you have any deficit in, you know, all the things that we've gone through in terms of the processes of producing stomach acid, digestive enzymes, bile, etc. If there's any fault in any of that, what happens is you don't get the food broken down into small enough bits to be absorbed. So that's carrying the nutrients with it. So it might be that you're eating a really, really healthy diet. And a lot of people say that to me, that they're eating really, really well and they're so healthy and they've been following this food plan for three or four months and they still feel exhausted. So that for me is a classic case of malabsorption. They're eating the right stuff and it's there, but for some reason their gut cannot break it down enough to absorb those nutrients. And the things that we're talking about today that could be causing that are stuff like we've talked about before, if your stomach acid levels aren't right. Yeah. But also we're going to get into today is that that lining, that gut lining, yeah. if it's not right, mm. it can't do its job properly. And mm. that is where we get into things like malabsorption yeah. and leaky gut. Which, yeah. which we're going to get on to um, later today. Away from um, how much would you say when you talk about um, sleep and uh, absorption, what sort of balance do you see? Do you, some people get in and their, malabs- their absorption is good, they're just not getting enough sleep? Or with the people you see, is it a combination of the both? So it's probably a combination. It's probably a combination, but, you know, a lot of the the neurotransmitters in the brain or the brain chemicals are regulated by the gut bacteria. So if you're if if you're tired and that's reflective of not absorbing your nutrients, then the reason that you're not absorbing is largely due to bacterial overgrowth in the small intestines. So that problem is also correlated with deficiencies in serotonin and control of the brain chemicals that would get you to sleep. Um, so it's a vicious cycle. Yeah. And I, I do, I do worry when, you know, you listen to this and you're, you're, you, you maybe do have some problems or you're not quite sure what they are. It is quite difficult to know where to start with all of this, because like you say, there are so many different things that could be causing it. So the, the real advice is find yourself a great nutritionist. Yes. All the stuff is online at gutology.co.uk now, but the testing is a great place to start, isn't it for people? It is. I think the most important thing is not to get too hung up on one particular thing. So I have a lot of um, clients that will come to my clinic and say, I've definitely got SIBO um, or I've got leaky gut or, you know, and they're really just honed in and they've done a massive amount of research into why they must have a leaky gut. But actually what you've got to remember is the gut is it's a system and it's a complex system. So if one bit is broken, it has an impact on the rest of it as well. So you're never going to have just a leaky gut, never that is going to be combined with a bacterial imbalance as well and probably a low stomach acid and probably some evidence of diarrhoea or, you know, there's going to be a a system problem. So it's not to get too hung up on... um, on the specific thing that you might suspect is wrong because it's wrong because the rest of the system isn't working correctly. Um, Before we get into the news today, when we talk about malabsorption and we say, okay, it could be caused by things like um, overgrowth in the small intestine, SIBO that we talk Mm. about there, Mm. or we talk about um, leaky gut syndrome. Is it necessary? We've spoken about both of those. Is when your your lining of your stomach or your or your um, gut yeah. isn't quite right, is that necessarily leaky gut, or can people just have not you know just poor linings because of poor diet? Okay, so it's it's not that it's either leaky or it's not. It's not like an on off situation of leaky gut. Think of it like a spectrum. So there's constant modification by proteins that help to. Um, stick the cells together. So what you should have in your gut is the cells aligned. There's only a single cell layer to enable to absorb the nutrients from your gut and put them straight into the bloodstream. So those cells are normally 
sort of stuck together end to end. So there's very little movement um, between the cells. Most things have to go through a cell to get into the bloodstream. But in leaky gut, the cells start breaking apart and the proteins that are holding it all together, for some reason, are um, opening the gates. But there's reasons for that. So, for instance, if you had like an acute gut infection, for example, um, those gates would open, water would flood through into your gut and wash away the pathogens. So there's certain adaptations. It's not just meant to be glued together, but the gut barrier has got to be really, really clever because it's there to absorb the nutrients and it's the only surface that will absorb nutrients, but it's got to keep the toxins away and the pathogens away. So it is a constantly dynamic moving thing. So you don't have leaky gut and then you've got it for life, but then just because you've healed a leaky gut doesn't mean that it can't then happen again. So um, I think one thing that's important as well to ask is that if when we're talking a lot about gut related issues here and we've spoken about the connection to eczema and yes, leaky gut today, which we're going to get into in a second and allergies and all those sorts of things. Can you have issues internally, digestive issues that don't have any symptoms as far as your digestion? So someone's listening to this and they're tired, but they go to the loo normally, their digestion's absolutely perfect, they don't have gas and they don't have bloating. Yeah, you can, you can. And that's what I think makes it really complex and actually not easy to understand um, for people that are new to this topic because you can have... Um, they call it extra GI manifestation. So it's something out of the gastrointestinal tract. So a disease within the gut or an imbalance within the gut doesn't manifest as a gut symptom. It comes out in something in the skin, like psoriasis, for example, or it could just give you headaches and fatigue. And you wouldn't necessarily think, well, actually that might be due to a gut issue or say osteoporosis. You might have your bones that are literally breaking down. And it might be undiagnosed celiac disease, but you haven't got the classic symptoms of that. Leaky gut, what causes it? What are the symptoms and how can you sort it out? That's all coming up for you shortly. First this week into the news and an interesting study that came out almost less than 48 hours ago that probably affects every single one of you listening. This week, it's all about BPA. Now, we hear BPA all the time, generally connected to plastic bottles. Firstly, what is it? Why is there so much hype, even in the mainstream media, about BPA? Mm-hmm. Well, it's you know it's a, it's a known toxin now, so um, probably the the most familiar label to see is BPA free on things like sandwich boxes or children's drink bottles and things like that. So uh, you know a lot of the manufacturers now are updating the types of plastics that they use to avoid BPA. Be- so BPA is a toxin that comes from certain plastics. Certain, yes, and they're yeah. saying that now there's proof that that leaches both into the food and the water. Yes, yes. So um, it can, yeah, yeah. so water bottles, so bottled water at source, you know, is absolutely great. But then you put it in a plastic bottle and it sits in a plastic bottle on the supermarket shelf and then you buy it thinking you're being healthy because, you know, you don't want the tap water because that's got other you know, considerations. So you get bottled water, but then you're consuming a lot of the BPA and other things that come out and they have this effects. Uh, they they have mild estrogenic effects, which means they can actually in, induce hormone imbalances. And that's quite well known now. Um, and the interesting thing about this study um, with BPA that just literally came out was the effect that it's got on the gut directly. And I was astounded to see that now that's been proven um, because BPA is an example of quite a known toxin now, but we do live in quite a toxic world and we lose a lot of products. And I think we said in one of the previous episodes, how many chemicals and products are we actually using in our daily lives? And we need to address that because BPA, we know about it now and manufacturers and and consumers are taking steps to get it out of their systems, but it's everywhere. So what's the next BPA? We don't know yet, but there will be one. So it's more about not worrying too much about the toxins that are out there, but making wise choices, not using loads of chemical stuff. Filter your water at home and perhaps put it in a glass bottle or something like stainless steel that's been tried and tested for, you know, donkey's years for not leaching any chemicals in. Yeah, so just just before we get onto that and give mm-hmm. some advice about what some simple changes that you can make that don't cost a lot of money... The study here was basically saying that they have, in a clinical trial, they've proven that the effects of BPA actually changes the intestinal microflora. It has an impact on what's going on inside you. Yeah, yeah. So that's what previous studies have said, is that it actually changes the microbes in the gut. And you know that when you change the microbes in the gut, 
you cause an imbalance and then you get all other all manner of different symptoms that can occur if that imbalance is not corrected. So they were talking about not just a, a discon, you know, not just a disruption to the micro, microflora, but also mitochondrial dysfunction, yeah. oxidative. Am I pronouncing this right? Stress. Yeah. yeah. And what's apop? Okay, right. So what what that's happening is, so this study is referred to previous ones that say we know that it affects the microflora in the gut. But what we've just found out is that it actually can cause leaky gut because it, so apoptosis is cell death. So it actually causes the cells to die. And what you were saying before is there's only a single cell lining that means that you absorb all of those nutrients. Yeah. Well, specifically what they found out in this study is that it's, it's not, it's it's not directly affecting the cells that line the gut. It affects the cells that make the mucus. And they are, the mucus layer in our gut is what protects the gut barrier. So if you lose the mucus, you lose the integrity of the gut barrier as well. So it's like the first step in then causing leaky gut is to affect the mucus production. And there's lots of things that can do that. But now we know that BPA does that as well. So mitochondrial dysfunction, mitochondria are the energy producers in every single cell in our body. So if a, a toxin actually directly impairs the mitochondria, that cell cannot produce energy and it will die. So anything that induces mitochondrial dysfunction is you know, it's dangerous in any level. Okay, so simple things that we can do then to avoid this. We we just mentioned it there, but changing rather from drinking from plastic bottles, even the ones that you take to the gym or protein shakers or whatever those are, you can off Amazon for like a nine quid or whatever, you can get a 500 milliliter glass bottle. So is that the material that you would recommend first is to have glass over? Yeah, I mean, practicalities aside, I would definitely recommend glass, but there's there's quite well designed glass bottles now that have got like silicone casings in. So that if you were to drop it, which is likely to happen, then you wouldn't have to buy a new bottle each time. Um, and there are some manufacturers, I think Voss Water has some uh, that's available in all the supermarkets it's that's glass. in a glass bottle. So there's, there are the odd ones, but buying glass bottled water has its own practicalities of carrying it all to the car and home again. So it's not perfect. Okay. So the other thing that you were talking about is having a filter on your tap. Now, this is a big, this is a, a big talking subject. So what are the things in tap water that may not necessarily be good for your gut? Like, what, why would we be filtering tap water? Is this woo-woo? Are we getting extreme with that? Or is there genuinely something there? Okay, it's not woo-woo. There's definite uh, data out there to say that a lot of what is in our water is, is not healthy for us. So we're in, you know, we're in a country where we have water purification systems. So largely it deals with pathogens in the water. So you're unlikely to catch any diseases from drinking water okay, in the so UK. So that's a good thing. So that's we a like really that. good thing. We yeah. like that. We love that particularly. But um, there's a lot of pesticides in water. There's a lot of hormones in water. There's a lot of vol- VOCs, volatile organic compounds. These can affect us as well. There's heavy metals in water. There's also minerals in water which are good for us. So actually getting a water purification system or a water filter that can actually take away the hormones, the pesticides, the VACs and the other damaging things, but retain the minerals is, you know, really useful. But, you know, sometimes these systems can get quite expensive. Just putting a charcoal filter in, like um, you can even get bottles now that have like just small bottles, single use bottles that have a... um, charcoal filter in that you can fill up from any tap and then it at least bind to quite a lot of those toxins not necessarily all of them but it will help a lot i'm just thinking for average joes like me yeah what so most of the water that i drink comes from my tap at home what is the most cost effective way to filter that water how do you go about it can you put something on the tap or do you just have a filter in the fridge what's the most efficient way because even those britta filters or other filters you have to replace them quite often the capsules are quite expensive can you put something on the tap yeah you can you put it so not on the tap you put it under the sink right and you just you just have a break in one of the pipes and you put a filter in there that then filters everything that comes through your tap and it is literally just a static filter that you put on it doesn't need to be electronic or no no it's a static filter and then you'd replace that every six to twelve months and that might be a really easy way to do it and how cheaply could you do that i mean ballpark figures what are we talking less than 100 pounds to do that wow, okay. per year um, and then you know less than 100 quid per year per year yeah um, my 
I've done a fair bit of research into water filters because I see a lot of very complex autoimmunity in my clinic and some people really cannot tolerate or cannot process toxins at all. So we have to clean up their life to a degree that's probably far more than the average person would need to take. So I have done a lot of research and the the best water filter that I would recommend is a Berkey and that's a countertop thing, but it's quite big. It's a big unit and it eliminates all of the toxins that we would be concerned about and it but it mineralizes the water at the same time. So it's really, really healthy water and that you're looking at upwards of about two hundred pounds. But what's it got how do you spell that? B E R K E Y. Okay, and we'll put all the information of this at gutology.co.uk if you want to go and read for yourself and discover more. But BPA, it's proven to affect not only the microflora community, but also into more conditions that can be precursors to things like leaky gut. All of these articles, again, online at gutology.co.uk. Now, when we talk about energy levels and we talk about sleep, I know that the number one thing that anybody who has an interest in gut health would have heard of is the infamous leaky gut. I don't know why, but this gets thrown around so much online when you Google, I've got these symptoms here, and then it pops up is the 10 things you need to know about leaky gut. So what we want to do is talk in real terms about is it a real thing? What is it? Can you genuinely sort it out? Firstly, let's start with, is it a real thing, leaky gut? Okay, if you want a one-word answer, yes, it's a definite real issue. Yeah. And, and okay then, so let's talk about what symptoms people might be feeling that might lead you to think in your clinic that, okay, this person might be, I know we're talking about there are yeah. lots of things going on, but you're yeah. thinking, okay, leaky gut is definitely something going on here. Um, skin conditions. Really? Yeah. Yeah. Um, See, that is not the first thing I would think about. Ah, okay. Yeah. Um, headaches. Um, energy drops, definitely. If people are just Jeez. tired and fatigued all the time, I'm thinking, yeah, this is really, really likely to be a leaky gut situation. You see, I was thinking the first things you were going to talk about would be digestive-based problems. Actually, I'm thinking straight away systemic-based problems because the issue with leaky gut is it actually starts to cause a really chronic level of inflammation, low-level inflammation in the body, and then that has impacts on all of the body systems and organs. Um, so you, when you're actually widening the spaces and the gaps in your gut, think of it, if you, if you think of your gut like a sieve, so it's meant to absorb some stuff, stuff is meant to pass through that wall, but then... A leaky gut, you'd consider that more like a colander. So the holes are a lot bigger. Um, so what's happening there is you actually get undigested food particles and bits that would never, ever get in, appearing in your bloodstream. And this is what we were talking before about these autoimmune conditions yes. where large particles get through because yeah. of a leaky gut. Yes. And then the body attacks those. Yes. And it's that that can cause these, you know, even things like rheumatoid arthritis, attacking yeah. joints. and Yeah. It sees things in the bloodstream. The immune system is then. It's, it's constantly vigilant, your immune system. It's got to be. And a large proportion of the immune system is within the gut itself. So it's if it's constantly aggravated because it's just overloading the immune system with work to do then it's going to the immune system's going to fail to switch off one day if that continues and then it starts attacking so say for example um there's something in the so gluten is a is an example gluten's a protein found in wheat and gluten can actually cause leaky gut and the protein is very difficult to break down anyway. If you get gluten fragments, they actually look a little bit similar to other proteins that occur in your body. So your immune system thinks, oh, hold on, I've seen that before. I need to destroy it. So it starts attacking your own body tissue and that is then autoimmune disease. And just as a side topic here, because I think that is an interesting one. There is so much hype around now whether you should eat, should eat gluten or you shouldn't eat gluten. Are we saying that there are just some people that don't tolerate it well? And if so, what would be a symptom of somebody that doesn't or shouldn't be eating gluten? Because okay. we were saying last yeah. week that some people do really well having whole grain breads. Because yeah. I'm definitely one of them. Mm. I feel better when I've got more carbs and having a bit yeah. of sourdough or whatever. Yeah. But but let's talk about what would be a symptom of someone that, that doesn't get on with gluten? Okay, so firstly, um, before we get into that, I think I think... It's a level of tolerance of gluten, really. I think to be able to tolerate a certain level is great and that's really healthy. But I think 
people are overeating gluten because it's in everything. Right. Um, and that's the issue. So I think everybody will have a certain level of tolerance. Certain people will have a really low tolerance that really any gluten in their diet causes them to have problems. Other people will have a much higher level of tolerance for gluten and that they seem to be getting on okay with it. So I think that actually because of the type of protein it is now and the way that it's the way that we actually produce wheat because it's so in demand in the food industry we're actually not allowing it to grow as it would have done historically so it's got far more gluten in so I've seen some papers that are saying 50 to even 100 times more gluten so if you eat one slice of bread that's like eating 50 slices of bread so right. there's a lot more gluten content in things so there's modern food issues not just wheat is bad, you know, wheat wasn't bad 30 years ago. Right. Now, I actually, from the evidence I've seen in my practice, I definitely, I do bring a lot of people, not everybody, but I bring a lot of people certainly to a reduced gluten in their diet. If you were, if someone's listening to this and they don't have issues or whatever, but that, you know, we're talking about the long-term use of gluten, there being too much there. Yeah. What types of gluten would you be like recommending what types of bread because you're saying that is there certain breads you can get now that still have le- like old recipes or yeah like traditionally fermented bread long fermentation bread sourdough is a good example of that but you can get long fermentation bakeries that do it the old-fashioned way now and you so and, and they do have proven to have less gluten in them it's that it's not less gluten because they're still using the same flour but it's done in such a way that it's helped to almost pre-digest it a little bit so it makes it a lot easier on your gut so when you go on to like these online bakeries or these health food yeah. shops and you see long fermentation sour dough yeah. that is better than having yeah better for your gut than having your standard bread wow definitely okay. yeah all right so let's get back to yeah leaky gut then so we've talked about you know the fact that you could be having skin conditions or headaches or uh, lack of energy is of course today's episode so you're feeling lethargic all the time mm-hmm. Going on inside there then is something wrong with the gut lining. Mm, okay. So um, in we, we just missed something there in what are the symptoms of gluten? And it's quite an important one to just finish before we move on to, to go more into leaky gut. But the symptoms that I've seen in my clinic of like a gluten intolerance, if you like, tend to be really persistent headaches and sometimes neurological things as well, like weakness in like one side of the body or something like that. And it's completely clears up when you take gluten out. And that often happens when all the tests for gluten sensitivities, um, celiac disease, when they're all negative. So there's a large proportion of people that have something called non-celiac gluten sensitivity, and it's not the easiest thing to diagnose, but there's lots of different mechanisms that the body responds to gluten, but quite often odd neurological stuff and um, headaches, really persistent headaches can be due to gluten in the diet. So I think when somebody's living like that and they've got such bad fatigue, it's worthwhile a trial of about four or five weeks away and just see if it makes any difference to you'd be person. looking at that length of time to see if you get results yeah and yeah, this can't definitely. be oh i have the odd cracker here and there you've got to be hardcore about it i would be hardcore about it just to just as an experiment just because it's worthwhile um really um make if you're going to commit to that just do it it's a short-term period but do it properly you'll get good information from it if you do it half-heartedly you're not going to get the information you need and then it just drags on for longer Okay, so going back to leaky gut then. Yeah. So talking about that gut lining, it's not working properly. Yeah. So what's going on inside there? Okay, so um, it's if it's not working properly, you are not going to be performing the functions of absorbing the nutrients as well as you would be ordinarily. What is also going to happen is products from the bacterial metabolism in your gut because remember our gut is absolutely full of trillions of bacteria and they produce toxins now normally the gut can deal with those toxins and excrete them but in a leaky gut those toxins get absorbed into the bloodstream so the the things that the bloodstream sees that it shouldn't when you've got a leaky gut is not only undigested food particles and things like that coming in from the diet but it's actually toxins that your bacteria are producing inside your gut so without even eating anything you're still exposing your immune system to things that it shouldn't be exposed to. And it just becomes overwhelming for the immune system and then causes fatigue. So regardless how you get leaky gut or how it's come around, or you've had a poor diet or there's other stuff going on, you've got dysbiosis, how do you begin to sort leaky gut out? How is it healed? Do you need to take a supplement? Is there a specific diet? Where do you begin? 
Um, so yes, there's supplements. Yes, there's diets. Um, there's lots of different ways. And probably I would suggest the best way to tackle a leaky gut is by looking at the whole digestive system as a system and um, trying to ensure that you're eating foods that will provide the nutrients to your body should you be absorbing them. So start off with just a clean diet. So things like pesticides in the diet can actually directly cause a leaky gut. They can actually cause those proteins to start breaking away. So eating organic foods, even if it's just for a period of time, actually would be a really good recommendation for leaky gut because it's taking the chemical load out of the diet. So allowing the immune system to just recover that little bit in between. Um, So from a dietary perspective, just very clean. I would definitely have no gluten in the diet if there's a leaky gut present or even suspected because gluten actually makes more of the... um, it makes more of the protein called zonulin, which actually breaks apart the guts. So that happens in people, whether they're gluten sensitive or not, that happens in everybody. So no gluten in the diet at all. Things like sugar will aggravate the dysbiosis or the imbalance in bacteria. So that's not going to help either. So uh, I would say gluten-free and sugar-free and also alcohol, that is going to damage an already leaky gut. So for a short period of time, I would have no alcohol either. So really, really clean up, almost like an elimination diet, actually. Um, And the effect on symptoms is astounding. It is worth going through that um, in terms of taking all of those things out of your diet to heal the gut. Um, Supplements can be essential. It depends on how bad somebody is suffering, but there are specific things like amino acids, like glutamine, for example, is really, really good actually regenerating that gut lining. It does it very quickly. Um, It's normally doesn't have any side effects. It's not suitable for absolutely everybody for different reasons, but it's a very, very useful supplement to have to just repair that gut. Now that's something that can be used after chemotherapy sometimes when the gut lining has been so damaged that you can use glutamine to regenerate it, but you wouldn't use that during uh, cancer, during an active cancer treatment. Um, I, I certainly, when I was doing after the elimination diet, when I introduced L-glutamine, one thing that I really, really noticed was that was at the point where my energy levels started to pick up. And I was on the same diet. Mm. I was on a restrictive diet. I'd removed the gluten. I wasn't drinking all those sorts of things. I wasn't having the sugar. So I was doing all the right things. Several months later, then when I went on to the L-glutamine, I really noticed around Mm. that period my energy yeah. really starting to come back. Mm. So I don't know. And, and, and it, you can get it in all different types of ways, but I had it in a, a powder form. Yeah. And I think what I think maybe just before I went to bed in the evening, I would just spoon it into some water and it almost tastes quite, um, it's not unpleasant. It's quite no. sweet. It's like a sort of sweet, <laughs> Actually, salty taste. When, you, when yeah, you're on a sugar-free diet, you'll take what you can get. <laughs> <laughs> so um, uh, I've, I found that to be um, a, a really, really easy supplement to yeah. take. I didn't get any side, I'm not saying that you won't, but I certainly didn't get any side effects from it. It yeah. felt quite gentle. Yeah. And it's just a natural amino acid, right? It is. It's just an amino acid and it really, really helps to just fuel the new sound in the gut lining so it just it repairs it's really good and you know it's quite relaxing on the nervous system as well so as a side effect um, a really beneficial thing that happens is it can just be really calming on your system so um, you know it can help anxiety in some cases as well so I think there's glutamine is definitely one of my favourites but I tend to recommend the powder because you need a decent dose of it whereas the capsules you just have to take so many of them to really get what you need Um, yeah so things Things like glutamine are really useful. Um, I recommend bone broth and collagen, those things as well for healing the the gut barrier. Um, It's providing, again, really amino acids to just fuel the development of the new of the new cells coming through. I think bone broths are a really good one to talk about while we're on that topic as well, because it's something that we, you know, it's become a, a, a hipster favourite, you know, the bone broth thing, pop-ups here, there and everywhere. It's incredibly expensive to buy online, you know. If, when and you see a lot of people, and I was involved in a, in a bone broth business for a little while, and, um, you know, you'd be looking at sort of six, seven pounds a dose, you know, just for a... 250 milliliter or a 500 milliliter packet because it needs to be shipped refrigerated, yeah. preferably not dried out. It needs to be the liquid. Yeah. Um, but it is actually really, really easy to make at home. 
I am not a good cook. That is not my forte. I'm not very patient. But we, uh, me and my partner, Beth, we found a really good way to do it. So 20 quid um, slow cooker from Argos or wherever you get them from. And we would buy just chicken carcasses or you roast a, you just have a cooked chicken on mm-hmm. a Sunday. Yeah. And the way that we experimented a few different ways, but for us, um, putting roasted chicken bones in originally, some apple cider vinegar, mm-hmm. some ginger, some celery. If people are in the early phase of the diet and, you know, your stomach is quite sensitive, maybe don't put onions and garlic in at that point. We do now, and mm-hmm. it, that really does add to the taste, but early on we just kept it super easy. Yeah. Um, and then you fill it up with hot water and you leave it on for 24 hours. You don't think about it. Okay, the house smells a bit more fragrant than usual, mm-hmm. but then it's easy. You just got a little sieve, took it out, put it into packets, freeze some or put it in the fridge. And then you can make really easy cheat meals as well, like ramen, mm. where you just pour it into a pan with noodles. And it's a great, you know, if you've got rice noodles or whatever, or just vegetables, it's a great thing to have it like, it takes 10 minutes to do at lunchtime. Or, yeah, yeah. So I think bone broth is an easy thing to do. And I think it's an intimidating one, but it doesn't need to be. I think so to go even simpler than that, what I often advise my clients to do is to take, um, just, just take, take a chicken. I prefer to it to be at least a free range if not an organic chicken because what you're really doing is condensing the the minerals that are occurring in that in that meat um and yeah cook it and if they if they eat chicken then cook the whole chicken and then they've got loads and loads of meat that they can then use in different meals for the week and again i use a slow cooker i suggest people use a slow cooker because you can get them so cheaply now and it's just stress-free just plug it in and leave it um if you were doing it on the stove you know you'd want a minimum of four hours but you actually get a lot more minerals in it if you leave it on for 12 to 24 hours so a slow cooker is just perfect for that because it's safer um I always say put a, a slash a, a slosh of cider vinegar or lemon juice, so something with acidity that's going to help to draw the minerals out of the bones. So right. that's the crucial thing. But you don't have to put in the ginger and the garlic and things like that or the celery. You can if you want, but if you can't be bothered to do any of that, it's fine. Just ensure that the um, juices from the cooked chicken cover all of the bones. And often you don't even need to add water. But if you do, just top it up just to the level where you've got the bones covered. And are we right in saying that you get more like amino acids and collagen yeah. if you use beef bones rather than chicken? Uh, yeah, you can do. I would probably recommend actually doing both and then you get just both benefits. All in one? No, uh, no, no, just yeah. do one. You I know. think the chicken tastes better than yeah, the broth. But... I prefer chicken. I prefer chicken. Um, I think the last thing to say about it, though, is I wouldn't say you should consume the fat. So when you so when, you, when it's done and you want to drain it, I put it in a jug or a really big bowl through a sieve and then put it in the fridge and then 12 hours later you skim the top because the fat would have risen to the top it's literally what everybody's grandmother would have done just out of routine it's these old-fashioned habits again that we just need to um we need to liven them up again this is actually what we need in our modern lives but take the fat off and then you've got that jelly consistency anytime you cook rice cook it in stock anytime you make soups use the stock um, you just use it liberally and, uh, yeah, it's really, really good old-fashioned habit. And I think one recurring theme that we're having, you know, on this project is is whatever we're talking about, there's lots of different things going on, but a period of, you know, I, I think for, for having gone through it myself, I think what is, would have been really, really helpful is someone saying, look, you might need to be restrictive, but it's not going to be forever. You know, a lot of these things we're talking about, it's almost about, you know, if you think about it alongside a sporting injury, Mm. it makes sense to us. You injure your leg, you rest it for a while, and then you can get back to sport. Yeah. And it's a similar thing, like with all of these things we're talking about, look, yeah, you might need to strip it back and it might need to be hyper restrictive for a period. And that Mm. is something that certainly happened for me. Yeah, it was bloody miserable. No alcohol, no sugar. No bread, you know, these are the great loves of life, mm. right? <laughs> these mm. are the things that taste good. Yeah. But then over time, you can slowly reintroduce things and just find your, you know, your long term happy balance yeah. of, okay, occasionally maybe you can do a few things or you reintroduce a few more things into your diet and you'll yeah. find out where that place is. Yeah. So it, 
this isn't doom and gloom. Yeah, it's not. And I think also I work with a lot of people that can't make all those changes in one go because it is too overwhelming. So I think, you know, it's it's perfect if someone's like, yeah, I'm ready to go. I've been so ill for 10 years, so I need to get better. I will do whatever it takes. Just tell me what those things are. That's brilliant. We can just move forward. And yes, it's short and painful, but it is normally quite short. Um, it might, uh, in terms of gut healing and timelines, I think that's quite a useful thing to discuss minimum of four months minimum and that is an absolute bare minimum I would say you're looking really at six to 12 months to really completely heal your gut and understand what those triggers are for you and then incorporate that into a more balanced diet more balanced lifestyle and not as restrictive again you're really looking at that period of time yeah I think from my personal experience as well is like after six months I definitely it was transformative to where I was before But it was actually, I'm glad I kept going at that stage because it was the following six months where it felt to me like it became more resilient. Like I I wasn't always teetering on the edge of slipping back. It sort of built a resilience up. Yeah. Um, I think that's a really interesting point. As we're talking about that, um, any other things? So we're talking about healing leaky gut then. A restrictive elimination diet, removing gluten, removing alcohol and removing sugar for a period. We're saying basically four months is going to be the winner. Yeah, that's the minimum. you minimum. know, and, that, yeah. and that's the important thing also about this project as well. It's like getting through all of the bullshit. There's some stuff that is overly hyped. You don't need to be really disciplined with. But the reality is you want it to work. You're going to have to put four months of work into yeah. it, you know. And I would say the trick is to those really restrictive diets is invest some energy in working out what are the nice bits of the diet. Let go of what you don't have and then work with what you do. And we'll put some recipes up Mm. online at gutology.co.uk. I think this would be a really good idea, actually. Really tasty recipes on an elimination diet because that does that, that is a rarity, right? It would be really useful to have that on the yeah, definitely really useful. I think the one thing that we haven't mentioned, which is so worthy of mention when we're talking about leaky gut, uh, is stress because some people are eating the perfect diet and they're eliminating all those things we've discussed and they're taking the supplements. And what happens when that doesn't work? So in my experience, stress is the missing key there. So it's harder to tackle that than it is to tackle all of the dietary stuff because it's not a case of, you know, remove this, put this in, take this supplement, drink this, eat that. You can't remove stress if only. If we can work out how to do that, then we'll be onto something. But you can't just take that stress away. And when people are living living in a stressful existence, whether that's because of a challenge, challenging job or they're a carer for a member of the family or, you know, a lot of like a lot of the people I see, they're chronically stressed because they're chronically ill. So it's a vicious cycle. They are stressed because they can't work. So they've got financial stress because they're ill and they're, you know, it just becomes a really, really vicious cycle there. So the stress actually damages the gut lining itself. It can, the cortisol, which is the stress hormone, this actually can pull apart those cells that are lining the gut. So if, um, if your gut does not heal and you do not feel any better, then stress often is that remaining thing that really, really needs to be tackled. And the big question of that is, well, where does one begin? You know, you see a lot of people in your clinic. What is the sort of broad advice that you give to people to be able to start sort of tackling stress? So I work with a psychotherapist in my clinic. So if I need her input on some more extreme cases of stress, we can work together to do that. And she's then specialist in techniques to really help your body become more resilient against stress. Nutritionally, we can help. There's certain um, certain ways in, in terms of managing your stress levels and your cortisol levels through your diet. So you can actually look at the physiology of stress and work with it on a nutritional level. You can make a lot of, uh, a, a lot of change, a lot of difference then. Um, but I often recommend that people start some kind of meditation practice or some just focus on your breathing for five minutes a day in the morning and you will start to train your body because remember that fight or flight state that we talked about when you're stuck in that fight or flight and you're just super stressed all the time 
you're not able to rest and repair, which is the other avenue of the nervous system. So with that in mind, your blood supply is not even close to your gut to absorb the nutrients. We need to get it back there to be able to pick up those nutrients from the gut. Yeah, and I think that's sort of my two cents on stress. Having been someone that has, you know, I've, I've been around the houses with, you know, psychotherapy. I mean, my partner is a psychotherapist, so you get a unique insight into it as well. I, I think there's two things to think about when you think about stress. And I think the idea of this project, the gutology project, really for me is about giving people simple things that they can do every day that are easy, that are easy, accessible, that have long-term repercussions. You know, you change the ship's course by one degree now, that might be making your bed in the morning or cutting out gluten or whatever those things are, and they will have big repercussions. And as soon as you get those rewards, it becomes exponential. And I think that's the big thing here is when you're listening to this, you think, I'm going to make all these changes. No, no, no. Small, simple changes that are sustainable. Yeah. Yeah, that That is the way that you will win on this. And I really believe... That, that that is a big thing for stress. You know, what can you do? And I know it sounds silly, but I think hobbies, I think hobbies is such a big thing. Something that interests you away from work, family, life. Yeah. And that, I know it, that can be as simple as you enjoy collecting stamps or you like going out for a walk or you love computer games. Fine. Make the time guilt-free time that you put into your schedule where that is just downtime because for a lot of us it's really difficult to quieten the mind so having something that's stimulating but not stressful is a great diversion tactic that can have a really really big impact and then yes once you open up that time and you start things start to calm down a little bit and you're making small changes in your diet of course there are the bigger questions of what are the big stresses in life are you caring for someone Do you have dysfunctional relationships with your family? Are you and your partner communicating properly? Are you being boundaried at work and not taking too much on? Yes, those are all big things, but I do think it has to, you have to start with the small wins. And I think tiny little things like breathing, bit of meditation or hobbies are a really good place to start that isn't overwhelming. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. yeah mm. <laughs> almost. You can create more stress by trying to solve stress. Yeah. I know? think the most stressed person is the most resistant to change as well, because actually sometimes you get so stressed, your body doesn't know what to do when it's not like that. And you almost have this behavioral trait where you make sure that you remain stressed even when you might not have to be. And it's like a pattern and I've seen it a lot. So it takes, and this is when I do often involve the psychotherapist that I work with because you need to you need to break some fundamental mindsets there and you need to do it in a really slow way because if you change things overnight in a really highly stressed person, they can often take a real backwards step because it's just too much. It's too overwhelming. And then they feel they're failing at the first hurdle because if stress is the key to leaky gut, well, they've failed already. And so you need to change that mindset. And like you say, just do something they enjoy five minutes a day and then just build on it from there. Uh, Every week we bring you uh, a simple tip. We call it try this, something that you can do at home. It shouldn't cost a lot of money. It should have some scientifically backed research to it. I know this week we've already talked about stress and we've talked about bone broth and stuff like this. But actually the one tip that we specifically wanted to talk about this was all about purple foods yeah and uh, i like this one because we were talking about this yesterday at my house and my partner last night was saying well there's no purple foods in our (laughs) fridge so well we should get some purple foods i thought great okay so this is a good one so let's talk about purple foods okay well green green foods get a lot of press in the nutritional world we all know green is good purple however um now what gives the pigment to plant foods is phytochemicals, so plant chemicals, they actually give the colour. And the more colours you can have in your diet, the different sorts of phytochemicals you're actually giving to your body. So purple feeds um, produce a certain phytochemical that actually acts as a prebiotic, so food for um, your gut bacteria, a particular type called acomantia, and it helps with um, preventing leaky gut. 
So if you're having a lot of purple foods in your diet, so things like blueberries, aubergines, purple sprouting broccoli, or I saw this week, purple asparagus. So, you know, and it's great with kids. I've done this with kids so many times and they love it. They drag their parents around the supermarket and look for everything purple. And, you know, it's a really engaging thing for for children as well as adults. Um, But yeah, what you want to do is feed this type of bacteria because it's helping to maintain the mucus lining on the gut wall. And remember what I said before, if you lose the mucus production in your gut, you lose the gut barrier integrity. So this Acomantia is a type of bacteria that is fed by purple foods. Um, okay, so give us some easy wins on purple foods. Aubergine. Yeah, okay, I didn't think about that. Beetroot? Blueberries. Beetroot is an awesome one. Um, purple asparagus for the one week of the year it's in season, so it's not necessarily actually, a regular one. I'll tell you one that's actually quite tasty is, um, you know, you get the red cabbage. Yes. And if yeah. you dice that up with some uh, sugar-free mayonnaise, yeah. people, uh, a bit of mayonnaise and yeah. some lemon juice... Yeah. You can leave that in the fridge and just have it on the side of stuff like, um, well, it's, co- it's like coleslaw, isn't it? A bit yeah. of carrot in there or whatever. Yeah. That's an easy win. Yeah, definitely. Rainbow carrots, you get purple carrots as well. And they all look beautiful okay. as well. Radishes have got that lovely, you know, really bright pink around the outside. That would be helpful as well. Okay, that is very in keeping then. Eat purple foods. It could even, for those of you looking to optimise your gut, help prevent leaky gut in the long term. So that feels that that fits perfectly today. Um, as we uh, wrap up this week's episode, I just want to recap quickly on the things that we've covered today. So we've talked a lot about energy levels and how, you know, so many things going on in the gut can affect your energy. So it's really important to make sure look, you're eating the right foods. We've talked about purple foods. We've talked about bone broth in there. We've talked about, okay, look, this isn't about being a stickler and saying you shouldn't eat gluten. How can you reduce it? And if you are going to eat gluten, can you find it from really good sources like long fermentation sourdough? You can get that online. You can even make it at home if you're super keen. Uh, These are simple things that you can do along the way. And if you get on to treating things like leaky gut and you suspect that, actually the advice that Julia is giving is, that how can you go on a restrictive diet? Because that might just, an elimination diet, if you go on that and you suddenly start to see changes, that is going to be the beginning of your journey to work out, look, what is going on here? If you go on an elimination diet and suddenly all these things start to disappear, your energy levels rise, your digestive digestion improves, that's going to give you an insight into, oh, okay, I'm moving in the right direction here. There might be something going on. The simple thing then is, can you find a good nutritionist near you? Now, if you're in a situation where you can't do that, you can email us via the website gutology.co.uk and we'll do our best to to find somebody near you or, or, or put you on the right course. But also there are hundreds of articles as well of things that you can discover as well. Just go online, gutology.co.uk. There's videos, there's a, um, a special six-week diet that we're putting together right now that you can follow and that might be really helpful. And even some recipes as well to sort of help you along your way. So I feel like that was energy done reasonably well. I, I really enjoyed that today. Yeah, me I, too. Me I think every week I'm also discovering new things that just thinking about it in different ways as well. I feel like I've probably spent the last 10 years interested in gut health, but every week here I'm like, huh, I didn't think about that. And for me, things like headaches and skin conditions, and you could have perfect digestion that's where it starts to get super interesting for me. All right, thanks for being with us. Next week, what is coming up? Well, it's all about the acid myth. We've spoken about stomach acid, but it's so much bigger than that. And there are certain things that you can do and certain things that you need to avoid as well. We'll see you next time. Episode five, the acid myth. (laughs) 